Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. We call the Bible a book, but did you know it's actually 66 different books combined into a single library? It was written by 40 plus authors spanning over 1600 years as they tell us the stories of men and women as they follow God in and through their lives. But each of these individual chapters all point to a greater story, the story of God saving the world through his son, Jesus. Now, in the New Testament, we read four biographical accounts of Jesus' life. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John teach us about the places that Jesus walked, the people he met, and the things that he said. In the coming weeks, I've asked four of my friends to look at all of the things that Jesus said and to focus in on just one. The question that I'm asking them to answer for all of us is this. Of all the things that Jesus said, What is that one thing that inspires you the most? Today, we will hear from Todd Tuggle. Todd is a man whose life has been radically shaped by the words of Jesus. He has pastored many churches over the years and now works as an advocate for children who have been sexually abused. He understands how inspiring the words of Jesus are to the church and to the world. Will you join me in welcoming my friend, Todd Tuggle? Good morning. It is great to be back. Not uh, just once, but now twice I've been invited to do this. Each time we do this, that one thing series, I've been invited back, and uh, it's a real honor and privilege to be here. For those of you that do not know me or have no background of who I am or what I'm about, um, I was a pastor for 27 years. I was ordained in the Lutheran Church. I spent 10 years in the Lutheran Church pastoring churches in central Louisiana, East Tennessee, suburban Detroit, and then eventually coming back here to my hometown of Decatur, Illinois. Uh, After that, uh, as I said, 10 years, um, by mutual agreement, the denomination and I decided we'd probably do better if we did life apart. And um, so that that worked out well. And then planted two different churches here in Decatur, the one of which I was the pastor of for 17 years before uh, stepping away recently. When I stepped away from that, I became the director of the Oasis Day Center. Uh, If you don't know what Oasis is, it is a day shelter for the homeless in Decatur. And that's what I was doing, or actually I was just about to step away from that when I spoke two years ago. Um, I left that a couple years ago, and now, as the video said, I'm an advocate for uh, the Child First Center, and we deal with um, whenever kids have been physically or sexually abused, we take them, help them through the court system. Uh, to make sure that those who have violated these little young ones are prosecuted and uh, brought to justice. So uh, it's a challenging job, and it's a great job to be there with those families in their darkest, 
deepest, darkest time of their lives and uh, to walk through that whole process with them. But also, if you know anything about me or friends on Facebook or probably see lots of pictures all the time, that I'm also a runner. Uh, three and a half years ago, I had a uh, cardiac event. Some would call it a heart attack. I hate that phrase. Um, and have two stints in the backside underneath my heart. And that was kind of a wake-up call to physically do something uh, different so that I could continue to be around and do what I'm doing. So um, got hooked up with a group uh, called Learn to Run. And um, Learn to Run is kind of a unique kind of, you say, learn to run. Well, how do you learn? Just go run, right? Well, this, this is a little more systematic than that. What the Learn to Run program will kind of promises is that if you stick with it, in 10 weeks, you can go from virtually no activity or just the ability to walk, and in 10 weeks, if you stick with it, you will be able to run for 30 minutes without stopping. So the first week, you walk for four minutes, and then you jog for two, and you do that five times, 30 minutes. Next week, I think you walk for three and you jog for three. And the next week, a little more and a little more. And before you know it, if you stick with it, you're able to walk or able to run for 30 minutes. And uh, two notable folks that we actually had this year, we just had a graduation Thursday night. It was the end of our 10 weeks. And two notable uh, participants we had this year in our Learn to Run was none other than Jeff and Joe. Sit down. This is my week, not yours. <laughs> but it's been a great process to watch all of this. And one of the things that I love to do in this, in this learn to run thing is, is to be an encouragement and to say to people who maybe didn't think they could do it in the beginning, you can do this. I believe in you. You can do this. Stick with it. It's going to be okay. You're going to finish. Way to go which in a way kind of brings me to the phrase or that one thing that I want to share with you this morning because sometimes all we need is somebody to look us in the eye and say, I believe in you and I think you can do this. And that's exactly what inspires me the most about one of the things that Jesus said. The phrase or the task that I was given was this phrase. Out of everything that Jesus said, what is the one thing that inspires you the most? And for me, it's just two words, lech acharai. We good? All right, thank you. Lech acharai. It's a Hebrew, two Hebrew words, and I'll share with you what they mean in just a minute. But before, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in this place at this time. Not one person is here by accident. You've brought us here. You want us here. And I just pray, Lord, that you will allow each one in this room to hear what you have to say to them, whether I say it or not. And regardless of what it is, issues, needs, wants, desires that we drag through those doors this morning. I pray that you will meet us not where we should be, but exactly where we are. 
and allow us to hear how much you love us, how much you accept us, and this amazing plan that you have for us. I pray that for each person here, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you have your Bible, have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't, uh, you can get one underneath the chair in front of you, or if you don't want to bother with that, that's fine. The uh, verses will be put up here on the screen as I read them. Page 809, if you're turning in the Bibles provided, is Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to begin at verse 18. But before we do that, just a little, uh, little caveat. One of the things that you need to understand, especially when you open Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels that say so much about what Jesus said and what Jesus did, is that you need to remember that Jesus was a Jewish man who actually was a Jewish teacher, which they would have called a Jewish rabbi, speaking to a very Jewish part of the world and even one of the most Jewish parts of that. Because I think one thing, it's, it's, it's very easy for us if we forget that context of who he's speaking to and what's going on when he said these words, it's very easy to do, to do two things. Number one, it's easy to then make the words of Jesus like he's saying them like he's an American Christian. And he's not. He's a Jewish rabbi living in the first century in Israel. But the other thing that can happen is, is that if you don't understand what's going on when Jesus says these words, you miss so much depth to what he's really saying and what he's really meaning. So I'm going to read this section I'm going to back up a little bit and explain exactly what's going on so we don't miss it. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at uh, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, here it is, Lech acharai, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat, with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, to understand what's going on here, again, we need some background. In those days, the educational system of children was set up like this. A local rabbi would teach both the boys and the girls at the local synagogue beginning at about the age of six. At the age of six, good Jewish boys and girls would go to their synagogue and they would enter something called Bet Sefer, which is Hebrew for house of the book. And from about the age of six to around the age of 10, the local rabbi would literally, they say, stuff these boys and girls with Torah. What's Torah? The first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would stuff these boys and girls with Torah. They would take honey and put on the 
tongue of their students and say, this is what Torah is. It is sweet to the taste. And in these four years or so, these boys and girls would literally, are you ready? Memorize the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus? Yeah. Numbers. <laughs> Deuteronomy. Memorized. And about then, around age 10, once they had this down, the girls, they would go on home and eventually then would marry and enter the community. The boys, well, the best of the best, they would go on. But, you know, kind of the B team, you know, they really didn't have what it takes. They would be sent home by the rabbi. And they'd be sent home to, you know, learn the family trade. So learn how to make sandals or press wine or be a farmer or how to fish. But the best, the best of the best in Bet Sefer would go on to the next level. And that was called Bet Talmud, which literally means house of learning. So from the age of 10 to 14, the best of these boys, they would go on with their rabbi and in those four years would literally memorize the rest of the Old Testament. All of it memorized. And the rabbi would watch, and he would listen, and he would see which one of these boys maybe had what it takes to go on to the next level. The next level was called Bet Midrash, which literally meant house of study. But it wasn't a study of the Bible or the Torah or the Old Testament. It was literally a study of the rabbi. In Bet Midrash, you would learn how to be like the rabbi, to study, to do what the rabbi did. So a teenage boy would go to his local rabbi. If he had made it this far, and a, a, in, that, in those days, a disciple would have been called a Talmudim. The Talmudim would go to his rabbi and he would say, may I follow you? And the rabbi would have been watching. And asking, can this kid be like me? Does this kid have what it takes? Can he do what I do? And normally, you know what the rabbi would say? Nope. You don't have it. Go on home. Go on home, learn the family business, learn how to make sandals, press wine, family farmer, or maybe even go fishing. But every once in a while, a Tamadim would go to his rabbi and say, may I follow you? And the rabbi would look that boy in the eye and put his hands on his shoulder and say two words. Lekakarai. Come, follow me. Leave your family, leave the business, leave the community, and devote your life to learning to do what your rabbi does. Now, with that understanding, do you see Jesus' words to Simon and Andrew and James and John a little differently? What's Jesus saying? He's saying to them, I believe in you. I believe you can be like me. 
Now, before we go back to Matthew, just something to remember. This wasn't the first time that Jesus would have had an interaction with Peter and Andrew and James and John. At least three times he would have interacted with them. Has he said, lack Akarai yet? No. But then, let's look at verse 18. The whole time, Jesus has been watching and waiting for that opportunity. And in verse 18, he says, or it goes, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. What's that mean? What's it mean? They got sent home. B team. Not good enough. Couldn't cut it. Rabbi didn't believe in them. But then look at verse 19. And he said to them, Lekakorai, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how they would have felt? He believes in us. He's been watching. He's been waiting for this opportunity. He thinks we can do it. He thinks we can be like him. Is it any wonder they dropped everything to follow this rabbi? There was no higher compliment that a rabbi could pay to any Talmudim other than saying, Lekakarai, come follow me. Now, with that being said, I want to show you another place where an interaction goes on between Jesus and one of these four and see if it makes a little more sense now, knowing what you know. Go from Matthew 4 to Matthew 14. That's on page 820, if you're turning there in the Bible provided. This is a familiar story probably to most people. If not... Uh, You'll get it pretty quickly. What's exactly going on here? Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 22. Immediately he made, his, made the disciples, that being Jesus, get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he had saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
Go back to verse 28 for just listen to the question. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Why did Peter ask that question? Now maybe do you understand why? What's Peter saying? He's watching his rabbi do what? Walk on the water. And as a Talmudim, he believes what? If my rabbi can do it, so can I. So what Peter is really asking Jesus is, do you, do you believe I can do it? Do you believe I can be like me? Do you believe in me that much? Why? Because he saw his rabbi do it. If he can, then so can I. And guess what? He does. He does it. And he made it all the way to Jesus. How far was that? Three steps? Ten steps? Thirty? I have no idea. But it was far enough to get all the way to Jesus. But then watch what happens. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? That, in the original Greek, it says this. It says, little faith, why did you doubt? Little faith, it's almost like a title, like a pet name. He's like, oh, Peter, oh, little faith, why did you doubt? But here's my question. Who did Peter doubt? Who did Peter lose faith in? Who did Peter stop believing in? Jesus? No. Jesus is fine. He's walking on water. Peter stopped believing that what? That he could do it. He stopped believing that he could do what his rabbi said he could do. Did Peter fail? No. He walked on the water. He did what most would say was impossible. Why? Because he believed his rabbi thought he could. Did he fail? No. There's, other, there's 11 other failures in the boat that didn't even get out of the boat. <laughs> but he believed enough that his rabbi thought he could that he did it. He did what most would say impossible. You know what inspires me? There's the question. What inspires me is that Jesus says to them, Lechakarai, follow me. What inspires me is that Jesus says to them, follow me, because they thought they were what? They were passed over, unusable, can't be blessed, damaged goods, not good enough, but they weren't. You know what else inspires me? That Jesus says, Lechakarai, follow me to me and to you. Because maybe we thought we were passed over, unusable, damaged goods, not good enough, but we aren't. Jesus says to them and to me and to you, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I believe you can be like me.
See, we've been told, especially in you know, kind of Christian circles, we've been told that we need to believe in Jesus, and we do. And if you haven't, I would urge that you do. It's the best thing you'll ever do. We've been told that we need to believe in Jesus, but here's the thing that inspires me the most. I'm beginning to learn that Jesus believes in me. And Jesus believes in you. But we don't always believe that, do we? We don't always think that. And now I know I haven't. And I know I don't always. I said to you in the beginning that... um, About 10 years into my ministry, I left the denomination that I was in, and about at the same time, well, I did the unthinkable for a pastor. I got a divorce. And it was a tough time, and I stepped away from the ministry that I was at at the time so I could heal and to not bring any kind of, you know, disgrace on that ministry whatsoever. And about a year later, a group came to me and they said, you know, we don't think God's quite done with you yet. So would you maybe lead a a Bible study and and see where that goes? And I did. Kind of reluctantly, but I did. And uh, then eventually that grew enough to begin meeting, you know, publicly. And does this sound familiar? Um, (laughs) And that was the church that I ended up pastoring for 17 years. But even though the first few years of my ministry at that church, there was always kind of like this cloud that hung over me. And the cloud said something like this, you have done the unthinkable. You know, public divorce and all that. Yes, you can still preach, and what, but you're toast. God just can't bless you anymore. And I lived with that all the time until one time a group of us went to um, Indianapolis to a conference. And we were at this conference and really not expecting, you know, to hear anything, you know, huge, just to be a part of this and, and maybe some teaching. And, and I'll never forget this moment. The, the, the person that was teaching was a woman. And she was kind of sharing that she had felt uh, maybe a little underappreciated or that God couldn't bless her because she was a woman doing something that for the most part in most church circles was reserved for men. And she felt that way for a very long time until she felt that she heard God saying something like this. God knew you were a woman when I called you. But I called you anyway. That's what she heard, and that's what she said. But do you know what I heard when she said those words? What I heard was, God knew you would get a divorce when he called you. But he called you anyway. And at that moment... That weight, that cloud, was gone and never to be felt again. It was gone. He knew. He knew before it ever happened, but he called me 
anyway. So let me ask you this question. What is it? What is it that you've done? What is it that you did that you think has disqualified you, condemned you, made you not good enough, passed over, unusable? God can no longer bless. You're on the B team. What is it? And I would say two things to whatever that is. One word from me, one word from, or two words from Jesus. The word from me would be this. Let me speak to you the very same words that were spoken to me. God knew that would happen before it ever happened, but he called you anyway. And number two, two words from Jesus. Lekakarai. Come, follow me. He believes in you. He thinks you can do it. He thinks you are able. Yes, he knows. He knows what happened, but he's calling you anyway. And here's the thing. That fact alone inspired Peter so much that his rabbi believed in him. He was able to do what? The impossible. He was able to walk on the water. That fact alone inspired Andrew and James and John so much that they literally left everything and followed this rabbi wherever he went. Kind of back to the learn to run thing for a minute. For 10 weeks, and we just, I don't know if I said this, we just had our graduation um, Thursday night. And so for 10 weeks... Uh, been encouraging people and even to the point that um, during the day um, I would text Jeff and Joe and remind them, hey, tonight we're at Fairview, 5.30. Are you coming? You going to be there? And um, long about week three, I, I got that maybe Jeff's commitment to this was waning a little bit. <laughs> which is not uncommon because you're, you're doing things with your body that your body is not used to and you get sometimes sore. And, and so I, I sensed that he was maybe waning a little bit. And so I, um, I shot him a text long about week three. And um, let me read for you what I said to him. <laughs> Do not quit. <laughs> Another way to say it, do not give up. If you tangle up, tangle up, tango on. Run in the morning, but don't throw your hands up and surrender. Jeff, you can do this. And you know what? He did. And he came. And you know what? This past Thursday night, Jeff Watts ran 30 minutes without stopping. Yes. But for everybody in this program, somebody said, Lekakarai, come follow me. You can do this. I believe in you. So much that they did. And at least for maybe a brief time, they had this belief, I, I, I think I can do this. I believe, somebody believes in me. And they answered the call. 
And so they showed up day after day, week after week. And again, this week did something that 10 weeks ago they probably thought was impossible. They ran for 30 minutes without stopping. Maybe it's time you answer the call. Not to run, that would be awesome too, but the answer to call, the answer to Jesus' call when he looks at you and says, Lekakarai, follow me. I believe in you. You can do it. You are able. I can use you. Now, what does that mean for you? I don't have a clue, but I bet you do already. You've been sitting there thinking about it for some time already. But I also would say this. Let's stop with this cloud mentality. You know, that you're walking around thinking because of this, because of that, God can no longer use you or you're unusable. That's just not true. Regardless of how dark the cloud may be, move it out. Move it away. Because Jesus really does believe in you. And I think sometimes we have this, this dark cloud hanging over us because we tend to way overemphasize our actions, either good or bad, and we tend to underemphasize the grace that is ours in Jesus and just how much he loves us and that he believes we can actually do it. One of the songs that we used to sing in, um, when I was in ministry in this, in this last, uh, last time was a song called So You Would Come. And I want to read for you four lines from that. This is from the chorus of the song. And, I, and maybe in some ways this in itself will speak to you as well. It says this, nothing you can do can make him love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. Because of his great love, he gave his only son. Everything was done so you would come. He knows. He knows. But he's still calling. He still believes in you. Come, like I cry. Follow me, he says. He wants you to believe in yourself as much as he believes in you. Yes, it's about believing in Jesus, yes. But what inspires me is that Jesus believes in me and in you. Follow him and see where it leads you. Because it might even mean doing something impossible. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus. He looks us in the eye and a hand on the shoulder and says, come follow me. I believe. I believe you can do it. And so, Lord, I just pray that each one of us this morning as we walk from this place will walk with the confidence and absolute belief that you love us just the way that we are 
and that you can use us. You believe in us. Thank you for that. And may we believe you as much as you believe in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.